Hello, Spire Network. Excited to be with you today. My name is Chris Jefferson with Spire Network, and I'm excited to be able to bring another SpireCast program uh, to you today. Uh, Mindy Caliguire is our special guest today. Uh, Mindy and her husband, Jeff Caliguire, co-founded an organization called Soul Care, and uh, Mindy was gracious enough to speak for us at our Spire conference uh, in Orlando, Florida. And uh, we're gonna be excited to reprise that uh, talk that she gave. Looking forward to Spire Conference 2021 uh, in Nashville, like you just saw. Uh, right now we have really the best price that you can get through the end of this month for registration. It's under $200. Uh, and there are also price breaks for multiple team members. It's a great opportunity to bring your team, uh, be, to be able to be equipped, to be able to lead. Looking forward to being able to be together actually in Nashville, Tennessee at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center and Resort uh, there in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'd love to bring Mindy on uh, right now. Mindy, we are so excited to have you uh, with us today and um, uh, looking forward to just reprising that great talk that you gave in 2019. Uh, first of all, tell us just a little bit about the, where you're at. I know you're at a very special place. And then maybe <laughs> you can just tell us a little bit about uh, Soul Care and soulcare.com and your work. Yeah, for sure. Happy, happy to. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. It's an honor to be with you and the SpireCast crew. And hey, everyone. Um, yeah, I, the special place I'm in right now is, should I show them the views? It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, you guys, we are, I, you know, my husband and I, as we mentioned, we've been working with these themes of soul care for 25 years, but I'm in what we call a dream shed. It's a place for retreat and uh, to get away for leaders. Um, but this is our, our crazy epic view. Can you see it with the light? Yeah. So the Beautiful. All covered up right now, but it's the front range of the Rocky Mountains and it's very inspiring and beautiful. And our hope is that this becomes a place of refuge and retreat and community and connection and healing and whatever leaders need. Um, this is the first of several different um, uh, different buildings or, or environments that will be built up on the land. Uh, but it's a total miraculous, fun story. Happy to share it with anybody. But as I mentioned, like uh, 25 years ago, through what I'll share in this talk, uh, I became aware of the need to care for the soul. It wasn't part of my understanding about being a Christian and certainly not a leader. And so that's been a many years journey. And often now the way that I show up and help leaders with soul care um, has grown from just sharing that message or leading retreats or working with staff teams or whatever. There's a lot of different ways I've done that with leaders. Uh, but now we have uh, a whole team of other spiritual directors and coaches who are uniquely qualified to walk with leaders. Um, and never has there been a more important time uh, than this than right now. Who of us would have known in October of 2019 what we were all heading into and um, you know, I'm involved in the leadership of my church. We just had a meeting last night and these are hard times to be a leader and we just have to walk with others who are safe places for us to to grow and attend to the well-being of our own soul while we're trying to help others. So anyway, Chris, that's a little bit about what we do. Soulcare.com. You can sign up for our emails. Be aware of those things. We're doing some virtual uh, I call them semi-silent retreats. We're doing a monthly and, you know, just virtual gathering to carve out just a few hours to go through a guided solitude experience, be with others from around the country, other countries who've been joining in. Uh, so we're here to serve the body of Christ and especially leaders in any way we can um, and really exploring new ways to do that in the future. 
So that's us. That's me. Did I answer the question well? Well, it's great. Fantastic. And we love your picturesque setting. I feel like I'm in an underground bunker here. Comparatively. <laughs> you know, it's a, it looks like a beautiful spot. And uh, we're excited to be able to hear more about uh, the work you're doing. And um, love to be able to go ahead and start this talk great. from the 2019 uh, Spire Conference. Uh, here's Mindy Caliguar. Sessions this morning but also like the music that was under that contest that was just going on. I'm like, it's got me on like complete tilt here. So we're all going to have a little bit of some quiet <laughs> and some stillness as we're going to consider together the well-being of our souls. Often I wonder uh, kind of like what's, what's the point really of talking about the soul and specifically caring for the soul with a bunch of pastors, right? A bunch of pastors and ministers, leaders. Aren't you all saved? Hasn't the deal been done? Haven't you crossed that line? Hasn't the soul issue been settled for you? Really, what's the point of talking about the soul to pastors and specifically us? I think based on everything we've heard this morning, maybe we're starting to realize we're the ones who may need to hear this the most. I know I didn't consider the well-being of my own soul when my husband and I were church planting back in Boston, back in the 90s. It was many years ago now, but I remember vividly the morning I woke up halfway through those years and everything in my field of vision was moving. I had some pretty scary neurological symptoms. Now my soul was saved, but I thought that the most important thing was just to keep working as hard as I possibly could for the sake of the kingdom and the gospel that God invited us to share with others. And maybe try to be like Jesus along the way, try to behave and be kind and good and loving and all those things. But when I woke up like this, uh, turns out it makes you really nauseous. And for the next few months, I sent, entered into a season of completely forced rest. I couldn't walk a straight line. I couldn't read. I couldn't watch television or videos. I could not do anything. And it was very difficult to sleep even. In the midst of this church planting ministry, in a season through that time, God invited me to very graciously consider the well-being of my own soul. And today I want to challenge you to consider some of these same truths about the well-being of your soul, the well-being of a saved soul, and ironically, a soul that could be lost. So let's start our journey with what I imagine might be the most famous rhetorical question of all time. You know it well from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus's words. How could you benefit if you gained the whole world but forfeited your soul? Hello. Good morning. It's still morning. How could you benefit if you gained the whole world but forfeited your soul? Or what could you give in exchange for your soul? Now, in the context I grew up in, we would usually consider this as an evangelistic appeal. Maybe you can relate to this. 
We say to people, and rightly so, how would you benefit if you chased after all the wrong things in life and ended up forfeiting your eternity with God? But there are two really important points from this text that I want to have us notice together. The first, and you have to look in your like Bible or scroll up if you want. At the beginning of the paragraph, we see that Jesus is not talking to the wild, you know, the crowd of people who are far from him. If you look in your Bible, it's very clear. He is talking to his disciples. He's talking to the ones that are already in a very close relationship with him. That's of interest. The second thing is that the word for soul in the NIV, you know, translated NIV soul in the Greek, some of you Greek scholars, you know this, it's the word suke. Suke. In verse 26, translated soul. In verse 25, translated life. If you gain your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Verse 25, suke is life. Verse 26, suke is soul. The point here, biblically speaking, your soul is your life. The idea of soul biblically speaking, is inextricably woven together with the idea of your personhood, your whole life. It is not some Jesus bumper sticker that gets scanned at the pearly gates and beep, you can make it through. Okay, it is not an inert toggle switch that has an on-off, saved or unsaved status. Your soul bound together with this idea of your life. This is true in the Old Testament, it's true. Uh, where the first time the word soul is used in a human context is at creation, when God forms Adam out of the earth and breathes into him and be he, becomes, he becomes a living being, a nefesh. And throughout the Old Testament, when nefesh is present, life is present. When life departs, nefesh departs. Soul. Life. During that season in Boston, I often couldn't sleep at night. If you've had physical symptoms like that where you've been sidelined from your own life, you may know seasons like that. And there was a time I sensed God asking me this very simple question, you know, uh, and let me paint a broader picture. I was running the whole back end of my, the church. I was doing all the finances, all the communications. My husband, and he speaks about it and writes about it pretty openly now, but he was probably in a full on chemical depression. We had no language for that. This is, you know, back in the early 90s, we had no language for that. We didn't know what was happening. All I knew was to keep working harder and harder and harder. So I'm trying to support him. I'm running the whole back end of the church. I uh, was had a two-year-old. I was pregnant with our second child, and I was leading at least three small groups. Because who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it? And in the middle of the night, I sensed God saying, remember that verse you were having all three of your small groups memorize? John 15, 5. We've heard it this morning even. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. We love that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, I do believe God has the best sense of humor of anyone, right? And I sensed him saying, lovingly but clearly, what part of nothing didn't you understand? And guys, there was a lot about nothing that I didn't understand. 
The Psalms would tell me, where could I go from my spirit? If I go to the far side of the sea, you are there. If I even go to the gates of Hades, you are there. What does apart from me mean? Romans would say, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God, right? So what? There was actually a lot about nothing that I didn't understand. Apart from me, what did Jesus mean? He's talking to his closest in disciples at that last supper, and he's saying, apart from me, and he's about to leave. What does he mean, apart from me? Some years uh, after this time, I had a, uh, a, something happened in the backyard. We lived in Illinois for many years, and uh, we had a big, huge tree in a backyard, and a big windstorm blew through. And you've heard that Chicago is referred to as the Windy City. Uh, I think it has to do with the politics, not the weather. No, that's true. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, a windstorm came through, and this is a huge tree, and the entire canopy of the tree emerged from two central branches. And this windstorm blows through and literally half the tree falls. And I just sense God saying, notice, no, notice something about this tree. Now, what do you notice about this tree? Leaves are still green. Do you wonder whether or not if that were say a fruit tree, do you think it might bear fruit next year? That tree has become severed from its source. The metaphor Jesus gives us in John 15 about a vine and a branch and being connected to that vine and that in and of itself, that vine has life. And to the extent to which we are meaningfully connected in real time, that life force flows through that point of connection and out into us, the branch and bears much fruit. But apart from that source, that branch, it'll look good for a few more days. It might even look good for a couple weeks. And we're kind of like that. We can begin dis become disconnected from our source in real time. We become disconnected. And everything seems to still work, at least for a while. There's enough life in the system. We can keep leading meetings, we keep preaching, maybe for a while. But when we are utterly disconnected, and friends, we disconnect all the time. Storms come through, we disconnect from God, we forget. And then we forget that we forgot that he is with us. And he loves us, and he's for us, and he is able. We are unlike that tree, though. And Jesus knows this in bringing us this metaphor that has endured for thousands of years. We are unlike that tree because unlike that tree, we can reconnect. And we do this. We do this interpersonally. We do this with God. We can disconnect and reconnect and disconnect and reconnect. But the whole point is about connection. And when we disconnect... When those storms of life come through, when we disconnect, utterly predictable symptoms of disconnection emerge in our lives. Utterly, utterly predictable. I think of it as benign neglect. When our soul has started to be neglected, when we've disconnected. Nobody sets out to do it, but it happens. And when it does, 
these things happen. We have these symptoms. And some of us have been very disconnected for a very long time. Our beliefs might be intact. Our resolve for ministry is still strong. But we start to see fear take hold. Anger be how we live. We're becoming angry people. Fatigue, apathy, insomnia, physical symptoms like what I had, even deep anxiety. Many others. I've done this all over the world, really, in hundreds of cities with many, many, many leaders, groups quite small, groups quite large. And the list goes on and on. But when our soul is connected, when we are deeply connected to our source of life in real time, like right here, right now, connected, not truths about God, not resolve to follow him, real life, in the moment, connection with God. When that happens, equally predictable symptoms emerge. When we have that sense of God being with us and for us, we see peace, we experience love, we find humility comes naturally. Passion, gratitude, energy, contentment, courage. Again, the list goes on and on. And if we put these up side by side, which I usually do on a whiteboard, and we just pause and look, we say, which one of these would you vote for? Right? Friends, here's the truth. We vote for one or the other of those things every day, sometimes multiple times a day. You do, I do, we do. Again, our beliefs may be strong, our commitment to ministry and family unwavering, but when we lose connection with God, we experience these symptoms. But the key is this. The symptoms are not the problem. We usually try to fix the symptoms. The problem is disconnection. We've disconnected from our source. Do you notice how these symptoms come from so many different parts of life? Emotions, mental situations, thought process, creativity, things that are, speak about our gifting, those kinds of things. They come from all these domains because, again, soul is life. It's not just this toggle switch. It's a great quote from Dallas Willard in Renovation of the Heart where he says, fundamental aspects of life, such as art, sleep, sex, ritual, family, meaning roots, parenting, community, health, and meaningful work are all, in fact, soul functions. And they fail and fall apart to the degree that soul diminishes. And further, he says, when we speak of the human soul, we are speaking of the deepest level of life and power in the human being. Have you thought about that? What do you think is the deepest level of life and power in you? Is it your intellect? Is it your willpower? Is it your strength? Is it your ability to coerce or persuade? The deepest level of life and power is your soul. I've come to believe that your soul, and specifically your soul's well-being, drives everything that matters to you. Whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, that's what's real. And there are two related truths to the centrality of the soul. One is leadership is inevitable. What is not compelling about the kinds of people who are marked by those symptoms of soul health? They're a joy to be around, you wanna be with them, 
you trust them and they have good ideas about what to do next. Leadership is inevitable. But the second thing is leadership is dangerous. Leadership is dangerous. And usually this gets, we've heard some of this this morning in many different ways. Henry Nouwen, uh, a Catholic spiritual writer, uh, observed that nothing conflicts with love of Christ like service to Christ. And I would add leadership for Christ. So why exactly? Why is it so dangerous? We often, I think, believe that this has to do with the concepts of our pace of life and the well-being of our soul. So I'm going to walk through some slides as quickly as I can to get you to what I hope will make some sense. When we think about pace of life and speed, we know it can be up and to the right, going crazy more and more and more. And when that happens, we usually think of the soul diminishing almost with an inverse proportion to the pace of our life. Can't hear that still small voice. We don't have time to look people in the eye. We're just running and gunning. Now, if that's true, if there's always only an inverse relationship between those two, would it ever be true that you start growing in your soul and your spiritual life is going so well that your pace of life inversely correlated? Or would you ever be so spiritually healthy that you're doing nothing? No. Okay, that's not the point either. So we have to have a different way of thinking about the relationship between speed and soul if we're going to lead well, understanding how central the well-being of our soul is. So here's a different way to think about it. I hope will be helpful. When we begin our journey with God, the soul line sort of takes off. It's going up and to the right. Our soul is coming alive. It's so exciting. And naturally, especially if we're gifted in different areas of leadership, we get invited to do stuff by God and by people. And so the speed line starts to take off. We start moving, doing things, and it's kind of very up and to the right and very fun. I think of that as zone one. Zone two comes in when those lines start to get really close to one another. Maybe they start to cross a little bit. In zone two, God's asking us and inviting us to do things and he is our source, but also people realize you're really good at stuff and they ask you to do stuff. Sometimes God's in it, oftentimes not. And then all of the other manner of things kick in, our pride, our need to be needed. All of a sudden, we start saying yes to things other than the Holy Spirit. And when that starts to happen, those lines begin to cross. It's confusing. We're not sure. Is it me? Is it God? What am I supposed to do? But if those lines do cross, and they do, when they do, this utterly predictable inverse relationship will happen. This is what I call the implosion of the center, because if left as a runaway train of speed up and to the right, the soul will continue diminish, diminish, diminish. And for a while, everything on the outside can still look pretty good, but eventually that speed line will come down in correlation with an unhealthy soul. Some of you in the room might look at this and you're in zone one and I want to encourage you like up and to the right, enjoy it, get mentors, get friends, pay attention to the well-being of your soul. But this is great. Zone two, again, pull people in, get a spiritual director, find a coach that can help you bring friends close to your growing discernment of is this God or is it me? What are the true motivations of what I'm doing? And if you're in zone three, I've been there. It is possible to recover. But I want to say, please, 
please, please, please. Whatever it takes. Arrest this decline. There is nothing more important. How would you benefit if you gained a big ministry and forfeited your soul, your family, your life? Zone four, I believe is possible. And I call it Godspeed. If you ever get an email from me, I often sign Godspeed. Where your soul is driving your speed. And over time, God, now good and bad no longer is up and down. Good and bad, up and down is more like, what is God directing? God may say, hey, I need you to slow it down for a season. It might be because he's raising up a different leader. It might be because there's an inner deep healing in your life that is about to happen. And you can't get to it if you're running so hard. But the million dollar question for a zone four leader is when they sense God saying, pull back, they will do what it takes to pull their pace under the direction of what they sense God leading them to. And it won't always be down. Sometimes it's like, hey, it's time to run hard and run fast right now this way. And a zone four leader says, okay, I'm in, I'm ready. But the biggest issue is that the health of the soul is driving the pace of life, not the reverse. The pace of life is no longer driving the well-being of the soul. Friends, I believe we need a lot of zone four leaders. We're going to need self-awareness. We're going to need companions in that journey, but we can do it. And I want to leave you with one final image. I have a 26-year-old son who loves Jesus quite a bit, and uh, he sent me this one day. I want you to take it in for a second. There's an artist who said, if you love the form, you have everything to lose. If you love what gives it its form, you're free to receive whatever it's turning into. This whole morning is about the heart. This idea, this quote, this question is about your heart. What do you love? If you love the form, you're missing the point and prone to have a disordered heart. If you're caring for your soul, if you're open to what God's saying, if you are staying connected, you have the freedom. And friends, we as leaders need to be connected to that source so we can help shape what this is becoming. If there's any way I or the ministry around soul care can be helpful to you, I hope we can. We have a a soul health assessment. The last thing we'll show you is a way you can uh, QR code that thing and start a self, uh, a self assessment that will lead you to a, like a devotional that you can just process between you and God. What is current? What is real for me now? And however we can help you, uh, we have a, a growing team of, virtual connections that we can support you in, but we mostly, mostly want to leave you with the challenge that above all else, you would guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life 
and it is, my friends, the wellspring of your leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Mindy. I remember um, when you gave the talk and I remember uh, immediately seeing all of these phones <laughs> come up and click onto that uh, QR code to begin to take that assessment. Because I think that everybody finds themselves in different zones and different times and different places. And certainly this has been an incredibly difficult season for leaders who have been under uh, really the pressure of such ambiguity and, and, you know, and anxiety. And so I wonder if, if, if there are some things that you're seeing, some of the very best leaders, you know, in, in, in my view, it, it seems like there have been some people who've really adapted well and who are okay and who are making it and who are, who are sometimes even thriving in this, uh, in this strange season. And then there are others who not so much are having some difficulty. And, and, and so maybe you can just share, what are some of those things that you're seeing some of those very best leaders do to keep into that Godspeed uh, space to be able to, to to run a pace that is both healthy and and life giving as opposed to life stealing. Right, right. No, it it for sure has um has been quite a year for that. Uh, I think from a, a soul health perspective and and knowing how leaders are wired, there was a time you know before, right after the pandemic sort of started a year ago now, and we went into that first digital Easter and even into the summer everybody was sort of on an adrenaline buzz, like uh, high alert, we got to get it figured out, whatever. And all of our best energies came forward and people were being creative and pushing things online and finding ways to do stuff. But then to get the like, feels like constant struggle that started to settle in in the summer where issues of systemic injustice and race and then things around the election and conspiracies. And I mean, it just went on and on and on. And do we wear masks or not wear masks? Do we go back in person? Do we not go back in person? What are the regulations in our state or in our county or in our, you know, it just was the decision fatigue, everything else I think in the fall started to, to just get to a point of weariness. And even leaders I've talked to within the last 48 hours, there is a new level of fatigue. And you're asking what are the people who are doing well um, finding, and I'll, I'll get to that, but I just want to also to anybody who's in that space, um, the, the challenges surrounding the mental health of all of us globally, but the mental health of pastors right now is a topic we've got to be willing to address and not just sort of keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results in terms of our own soul health. The conversations I'm having, Chris, is people are, needing to like, I, I, I noticed in the, in that talk that I used the word, you have to arrest that downward thing. And I feel like that's the intensity that we need to bring into this moment is this is not just going to self-correct because some little thing suddenly improves. I mean, maybe there's a somebody listening somewhere that's in a church that's everything is sort of up and to the right and they have predictable problems with predictable solutions. But everyone I'm talking to, these are not predictable problems. Nothing in seminary has trained you for this. And there are not even predictable or reliable solutions. In some cases, there's almost a no-win situation. And you're like, okay, well, 
how do I care for my soul in the midst of that? Which is the right question because sometimes we're just saying, how do I lead well in the midst of that? Which is of course important, but friends, we've got to back up the, how do I lead well and get to the, how do I care for my soul? Well, because more than ever, in fact, I had totally forgotten about that quote at the end about you have to love what it gives it its shape in order to help be part of what it's turning into. I just butchered the quote, but like guys, we we as as the those who have been entrusted with a leadership responsibility, a servant responsibility to the body of Christ, because there are no predictable answers, this is all going to have to come. Whatever's coming next has got to come from our own intimacy with God, from our own sense of well-being, from our own sense of God's good. He can be trusted. There are ways that his people are going to show up in our world. But, but that picture has never been more true than it is right now. Like there's a, there's a big shift of what, what we're doing and how we do that. And then certainly how we lead it. So anyway, the ones who are, who are flourishing in their souls uh, that I talk to are the ones who are, who are connected. I think that is the, it's, it's like, Sometimes people think because I care about soul care that, oh, I'm just the prayer lady or I only care about these like very individual spiritual practices, which I do. I'm a, I'm a fan of those and I, I'm a fan of that big time. <clears throat> but I think the level of what we're dealing with warrants what one group of, uh, of leaders I'm part of, we call it a third safe place. You need a third safe space to process all that's going on, to process how you're doing with your family, with your own internal thought patterns, et cetera. We need, Henry Cloud talks about the importance of, um, you know, our lives become a system and it can become a closed system. And it, and it can, we can get unhealthy patterns going in our little closed system. And one of the most fundamental important ways to arrest that trajectory is to open the system. We have to open it up. We have to open our lives up to the input from others. It could be a counselor, could be a therapist, could be a spiritual director, a life coach, could be just a really great ministry peer friend. Um, but it has to be a third safe space. It's not your family and it's not your ministry. You can't you can't get the dynamics you need in those two contexts. You've got to find a third safe space. And I, I, I've been saying to people like, just try to narrow it down. You need a page, you need a person and you need a plan. And the page is really around a journal self-reflection. Like how actually are you right now? Even that little assessment at the end, a series of questions. How, how are you right now? Honestly, not what's the right answer. I mean, the right answer is what's true. How are you right now? What is banging around in your head? How are you um, at night and sleeping? And just like, I just get it. We just keep pushing and pushing, but you got to stop and reflect. So a page and then you need a person. You need that that safe third space. Um, and then you need like a, like a way to think holistically about your whole self, a plan. Like, how are you doing with sleep? How are you doing with food and movement? And all the different dimensions of self are at risk right now. And, uh, and it is not selfish for you to arrange your life around living from soul health. In fact, I think it's the most responsible thing you could do. Mm -hmm. So good. And I know that we've spoken about this, but this is not, um, 
a time when we are seeing a few people that have some issues. This is not a time when um, there are uh, some, some uh, a few folks that need, we've got a lot of people. We've got a lot of people out there who are really struggling. And if you think that you're not, if you think that you're okay, if you, th the answer may still be the same. You still need that safe third space. You still need the opportunity to be connected. I love the picture of the tree because mm -hmm. you you get it very clearly that, hey, if we're not connected and if we're not and, and this isolation has done exactly that, it's disconnected us all. And I'm so excited about the opportunity to to gather in Nashville and to be together just because the healing that I think was going to come from just everybody getting together and being together uh, can't be uh, can't be overestimated in terms of what it does. But as far as this national trend, we're kind of seeing you're seeing an uptick and and just more and more people who are in need need of this. Now, what do you, what do you really recommend as the first minute, which is a great thing, but what do you think is really the first thing that people need to do to be able to start back towards, if they feel that they are in that phase three, to start back towards a healthy point of being able to get back to phase one or a phase four? Yeah, it really is around that. I mean, that little digital assessment will mm -hmm. give you some self-awareness, but I really think, uh, you know, carve out an hour or two, go to a Go to the basement of your house or a beautiful serene environment and just have an honest conversation with yourself it don't even make it prayer necessarily what is really going on what is the true state of your soul right now what are what are you being marked by and without judgment without without like any sort of quick resolve i'm gonna do this different like stop all that just let the cry of your own heart, your own soul be heard. What is going on? Where are you tapping into despair or sadness or grief or whatever? Um, there's a there's a, um, a article, Chris, that came out last week in the New York Times um, by a, a great author. Um, but he says there's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. Mm. It's by Adam Grant. And he uh, he's naming this like third space that we're not in clinical depression, maybe mm -hmm. but neither are we necessarily flourishing. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about this idea of languishing. Listen to this. He says languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. He goes into all these different kinds of things, that, but he says this further, and then I'll, you know, finish answering your question. He said, "Languishing is the neglected middle child of mental health. Mm. The void between depression and flourishing. It's the absence of well-being or shalom, is what we would think of. You don't have the symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation." disrupts your ability to focus and triples the odds you'll cut back on work. It appears to be more common than major depression and in some ways maybe a bigger risk for mental illness. And the reason is because this languishing, their research is showing, is actually a precursor to more serious clinical symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I, I and he's saying is the dominant emotion of 2021. This is this is ubiquitous, guys. It's not the rare thing any longer. You know, I think what Jeff and I experienced in Boston back in the day was kind of a rare thing. It wasn't normal, but this is what your neighbors are feeling. This is what the pastor down the street is feeling. This is what all of us are likely feeling. 
And so to get away, first of all, even if it's just in your car, like, or, or take a bus ride somewhere, but like get somewhere where you can choose to focus, set down your phone, set down your email, the world will be fine for two more hours and just reflect, which is going to be hard and painful. You're going to want everything in you is going to start screaming and want to be distracted, but you got to fight that. What is really true of you today? Write it out, put it in a journal, maybe talk to God about it, but then find the, find a person, <laughs> find that's the page side, but you've got to find a person. Mm. Aspire network has great resources, soulcare.com. We've got great resources. There are people who are really highly qualified to walk with leaders in ways that become this non-anxious presence. How can they offer this non-anxious presence to help us let the RPM slow down and really tune in to where is God? Like right now, where is God? Mm. Where is Where's God in my circumstances? Where's my awareness of God? Certainly God, you know, there's a quote by Meister Eckhart, I think. And he said that, you know, <laughs> God has not gone away. It is we who've gone out for a walk. And, and that's the truth of it. You know, it's not like you have to try to summon God to come and care about you. God is here. God is always here. But our attention drifts. We we get so distracted. And that that's what I would hope for people, Chris, is start with some reflection and then open up your own story to some relational. There's power in relationships. Find a safe third space. That's I really, really loved the, the list that you made, uh, the mm -hmm. different between you know peace love humility passion and the in the converse of all of those and i was just aware in watching that list how often i tend to and i, I know i'm not alone in this but how often i tend to um, um be around things that might produce fear or that might produce um, a, a sense of, of anger, or that might produce, you know, if it's the news, or if it's, you know, something on if, if my my phone, whatever, it is is starting to, um, you know, um, uh, see you put it, arrest the decline. Is part of arresting that decline finding ways to flee from those things? Uh, is it is it just that simple that it, it makes a difference between what column you're choosing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think it is. And, and more and more people are helping us notice that our environments really dictate, dictate a lot of our mental state. Mm. And so, yes, when we're surrounded by um, a constant stream, they call it doom scrolling now, right? Mm. Where you're just like, you're just looking at all the terrible news around the world. And uh Never before, I hope, for me anyway, never before has it made more sense why God has given us the wisdom in scripture that says, you know, to to set our minds on, to intentionally choose to set your mind on things, you know, to what is it in Philippians? Now it's totally escaping me, but whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is, you know, whatever the other things are, think on these things. Like that could not be more direct way that God, knowing how he made the human brain and the, the way we're wired is advising us to live. That's essentially what the whole mindfulness movement apart from scripture or apart from God 
is is finding that we actually can choose where to set our our mind and there were a couple of days even this past spring because man this past spring i felt a lot of that symptoms of languishing it's like i'm staying up till 2 30 in the morning watching dumb netflix things again no shame on <laughs> no shade on netflix but it's like what am i this is not me like i'm just behaving in ways that are just weird yeah. and i a couple of days in my journal i i literally wrote down uh the list from philippians whatever is good, whatever's pure, whatever's right, whatever's praiseworthy. And I like forced myself in the morning to, to like list one thing at least that was mm -hmm. in each of those categories. And Chris, those are just like really simple things we can do, but we are in doing so we're entering into this realm of mindfulness, mm -hmm. learning to pay attention to what are we paying attention to? So I'm paying attention to you right now. And then I can also say like, okay, what am I paying attention to right now? I'm paying attention to Chris. But sometimes we just give our attention away to whatever is loudest and most demanding. And we're not critically examining what am I attending to? What am I paying attention to? And uh, yeah, I think that is a very simple, I love I love what you're suggesting. I, I've almost entirely gotten off of social media and even news things, I'm very, very careful. And, and if you thought about it, you've got so much energy to spend in a day, mm -hmm. what do you wanna give it to? Right. Do you right. wanna give it to Instagram? Do you wanna give it to mm -hmm. Facebook? Do you wanna give it to whatever the scary news of the day is? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not an infinite source. You have a finite amount of energy, a finite amount of attention. And I think I want a world where our our Christian leaders, our pastors, are able to attend to things that are going to be generative to the world that we're in. Mm. This is such an important area, Mindy. I'm I'm really excited about Spire Network's uh, attention to it as we begin to offer uh, new uh, resources and opportunities that specifically fall into the pastor health and resiliency. Mm -hmm. uh, area and we're just super thrilled that uh mindy you you are going to be a, a regular contributor to that Absolutely. and about the opportunity to to uh speak a good word to folks that that are needing it we're going to take a look at everything from mental health soul health financial health physical health all of those things that play a part in helping us get to a point where we're running at god speed and where we can be most effective for the kingdom. Mindy, thank you so much for being with us today. Just a treat every time we get to uh, to visit and uh, get to be able to be together. And thank you for your kind words and uh, for your support of pastors and leaders across the country. We look forward to being able uh, to connect with you again soon. And um, uh, we hope that uh, things continue to go well. If you'd like to find more resources from Mindy, soulcare.com, soulcare.com is the best place to do that. Mindy has a fantastic team of folks that uh, stand ready to be able to uh, address a lot of the different areas that I know are challenging for leaders right now. And please also make plans to um, uh, attend Spire Conference in the middle of September. I do think it's going to be an incredible time to regather. We're going to be looking at uh, that first night of everything that we need to leave behind. What is it that we need to leave in the past? What is it that's really facing the church in the present? How can we be best equipped to uh, deal with the things of the present day issues? And then how do we look to the future? What is this um, idea of not going back, 
but instead going forward as a church, the way that we uh, all have been called to lead a movement of healthy, growing churches. Uh, thank you, leaders, for the way that you lead. Thank you for the way that you lead your teams and for the attention that uh, you give not only to your own soul care, but to all of the souls that are in your care each and every day. Thank you all so much. Have a great day.